Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 58, The Ascension of the Great Liberator, Alexander II. Last week, Nicholas I, brother of Alexander I and son of the ill-fated Emperor Paul, dies, ashamed of Russia's showing to date in the Crimean War. Alexander and his mother, Alexandra, were at Nicholas's side when he died. According to witnesses, the Tsar apologized to his son for the state of Russia that was left to the 37-year-old. He then said to Alexander, quote, Now I shall pray for Russia and you. After Russia, I loved you above everything else in the world. Serve Russia. Then he died. Alexander II was left with a mess. Not only was Russia in an unwinnable war, the western borders with Prussia and Austria were now tenuous, but the real 800-pound gorilla in the corner was the governmental bureaucracy that was sucking the life out of the country. No longer was the Tsar in control, the bureaucracy was. And Duffy, as Duffy and Ricci put in their book, Tsars, quote, before his death, Nicholas acknowledged as such when he commented that Russia was governed more by bureau chiefs than by its monarchs. Alexander was smart enough to know that the war and the border situation were untenable financially as well as militarily. He needed to extract himself from both situations, and he needed to do it quickly. The events that unfolded six months into his reign helped force his hand willingly. On September 8, 1855, the city on the Black Sea, Sevastopol, ordered built by Catherine the Great, followed through by Grigory Potemkin, fell to the allies of France, Great Britain, and Turkey after a long and deadly siege. Losses on both sides were staggering. As I mentioned last episode, most of the casualties were caused by disease and not the fighting itself. In March of 1856, the Treaty of Paris was signed, and it was not favorable toward the Russians. For the first time in a long time, the territories controlled by Russia shrank. They lost their control of the Lower Danube, southern Bessarabia, its warships were banned from the Black Sea, and most painfully, it had to give up its claim as the protector of the Orthodox Christians under Turkish rule. The powers of Europe had finally stopped the expansion of the Russian bear and tamed the beast that had made everyone nervous for decades. Now they all knew that the Russian military was a toothless one. While everyone thought Russia lost a great deal on the treaty, Alexander thought otherwise. He felt that it was totally necessary and fair. It also gave him the respite needed to begin to reform his country. One has to understand that by now the idea that Russia belonged to the Romanovs was firmly planted in Alexander's and the family psyche. Its roots we discussed during the podcast on the reign of Paul I were fermented then. Alexander believed that fundamental changes were necessary in his Russia, and the first thing that needed to be changed were the release of the shackles on almost half of his people. He needed to end serfdom. Alexander is known as the great liberator, as if he and he alone had the idea and the strength to free the people. But in reality, almost anyone who would have ascended to the Russian throne would have been forced to do so 
because of the forces of economics and reality. Tsar Alexander II was in the right place in the right time. Now, before you think that I'm dismissing the man as an opportunist, think again. He was much more liberal than his father Nicholas as he quickly removed the secret police from the universities, relaxed censorship to a degree, gave amnesty to a number of the Decemberists and a number of other reforms. This more liberal direction was out of necessity and laid the groundwork for the freeing of the serfs. Alexander announced the end of the Crimean War in March of 1856. He added the following, quote, May Russia's internal warfare be established and perfected. May justice and mercy reign in her law courts. May everyone enjoy in peace the fruits of one's own labor under laws equally protecting all. The feeling throughout most of Russia was that reform, that bug reform, it was in the air. With it, radical ideas began to ferment as well, which was not to bode very well for the Romanovs, of course. Alexander convened a meeting of the leading noblemen to discuss the issue of the serfs. His advisors made it clear to him that the system was antiquated and economically stifling and held back Russia from keeping up with the rest of Europe. In America, the same realization was becoming apparent, but they were years in a civil war away from freeing the slaves. In Russia, the economic realities were more apparent and of a greater degree than the U.S. Another important difference was in Russia, they enslaved their own native people. In America, by 1860, there were an estimated 4 million slaves. In Russia, there were over 45 million, with another important difference between the two countries, rebellions. There were some in America, like the one led by Nat Turner. In Russia, hundreds were happening every year. It was apparent to many, this institution could no longer survive. On February 19, 1861, Alexander released his manifesto freeing the serfs from their owners forever. But how did he do it? Well, in 1856, the Lithuanians had proposed to free them without any land, but that would be untenable and would bring economic ruin to Russia. Alexander and his ministers insisted that the only way it would work was if they were freed with land. In the years after his ascension to the throne, Alexander had numerous committees formed to debate how best free to free the serfs with the least amount of disruption to society as a whole. The smaller landowners were all in, as many were going broke and could no longer afford to feed or clothe the serfs, but the large landowners, they wanted to keep the status quo. By now, almost 40 to 45% of all Russians were serfs, and the new emancipation proclaimed by Alexander would give them their freedom with land, with a few, shall we say, caveats? First off, the land wasn't given to them. They had to pay for it. And, well, no, they didn't quite get the land for themselves when they finished paying for it and went to a commune controlled by some of the same people who ruled them as slaves. The realization soon came to the people that all this talk of freedom was again just that, talk. Remarkably, the common man, the newly so-called freed serf, did not blame Tsar Alexander 
They blame the evil bureaucrats and the greedy nobles for the ruse. The father of his people, Alexander, could not have wanted this. He must have been deceived by the evil ones below him. This, though, was not the feeling amongst the newly formed intelligentsia forming in the freer universities in Russia. They believed the corruption stemmed from the head and seeped throughout the body of Russian society, and that only by severing the head could you purge the whole of the suppression of the masses. The seeds of revolution planted during the reign of Alexander I were now sprouting throughout Russia under his nephew, Alexander II. Unbeknownst to Alexander, plots in his life were being hatched. But he continued his plans to reform his Russia with a fervency not seen since Peter the Great, 150 years before. First, he created a new form of self-government for rural Russia, called the Zemstvo, meaning of the land, the community. This Zemstvo system, it lasted until 1917, and truly did improve the delivery of basic services to the peasant population. Then, also in 1864, Alexander ordered a change in the judicial system and improvements in the educational system as well. All classes of society were to be given access to schools, and the courts were ordered to treat everyone equally, stopping the age-old custom of giving preference to the upper class over the peasants. Another major reform that took place was in the military. Russia had vast resources, huge reserves and soldiers available to fight any war, but its infrastructure was corrupt beyond belief. These abject corruptions led to antiquated equipment, poor supply lines, and inept leaders. The Tsar revamped every possible aspect of the military, from the method of prescription, the end of corporal punishment, the revival of merit-based promotion to the upgrade of clothing and food. While there were grumblings about the slowness and the incompleteness of the reforms, at least things were moving in the right direction. That is, until April 14, 1866. Alexander, after finishing a walk in the Winter Garden in St. Petersburg, went to his carriage surrounded by a crowd of people. Out of the crowd, a young man of a noble family, Dmitri Karakozov, raised his arm up and aimed a pistol at the Tsar, but before he could fire a shot off, a peasant slapped his arm downward and prevented the assassination. It was found out during the interrogation that Karakozov was a member of a small communist cell, but no one else was involved in the attempt on Emperor Alexander's life. For the first time since Russia was ruled by an aristocratic leader, since the beginning of this podcast, since the time of Rurik, someone other than a family member of a boyar nobleman, was there an attempt on the life of the head of the state? A whole new era was opening. This was to be one of a number of assassination attempts on the life of the great liberator, Alexander II. After the assassination attempt, reforms, except those of the military, ground to a halt. Believing that his benevolence toward the universities were at fault for stirring up subversive behavior, Alexander appointed the reactionary conservative, Count Dmitri Tolstoy, to become the new education minister. 
Tolstoy ordered a return to the policies of Nicholas I. No more radical studying of the natural sciences. Oh no, back to the classics of Greek and Latin. But this created more animosity and anger instead of dampening it. The so-called intelligentsia tried to incite the peasants to revolt, but they refused to join in on taking down their, quote, little father, the Tsar. This frustrated the idealistic young people. They would now turn to assassinating officials throughout Russia if they couldn't topple the Romanovs through a popular uprising. Next week, Alexander II survives numerous assassination attempts until one finally succeeds and brings to the throne the second-to-the-last Romanov Tsar, the ultra-reactionary Alexander III. And now for a reading from Russian history. I guess this one seems kind of apropos, considering the topic of the Great Liberator. This is part of Alexander II's speech to the State Council in 1861 on the issue of freeing the serfs. The matter of the liberation of the serfs, I will consider to be a vital question for Russia, upon which will depend the development of her strength and power. I am sure that all of you, gentlemen, are just as convinced as I am of the benefits and the necessity of this measure. I have another conviction, which is that this matter cannot be postponed. I repeat, and this is my absolute will, that this matter should be finished right away. For four years now, it has dragged on as ha and has been arousing various fears and anticipations among both the estate owners and the peasants. Any further delay could be disastrous to the state. I hope, gentlemen, that on inspections of the drafts presented to the state council, you will assure yourselves that all that can be done for the protection of the interests of the nobility has been done. If, on the other hand, you find it necessary in any way to alter or to add to the presented work, then I am ready to receive your comments. But... I ask you only not to forget that the basis of the whole work must be the improvement of the life of the peasants, an improvement not in words alone or on paper, but in actual fact. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please go to iTunes, and if you can, give me a favorable rating if you like what you hear, as it's going to really help me move up the podcast rankings and get more listeners. Also, don't forget to join us on Facebook at the Russian Rulers History Podcast Group, which is really growing uh, kind of quickly, and, and nicely thank you, and love all the comments that everybody's having. And by the way, my little Slapshot episode that I just did on the books of Russian history, you can find the uh, the book titles and the authors if you join the Facebook group. Uh, I did post that up right after the uh, I recorded the Slapshot episode. So anyway, you can go there. You can ask a question, leave a comment, or make a suggestion. Now, as always, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.